Okie dokie, oh. a podcast for those addicted to the study of scripture. Welcome fellow addicts, this is your safe place to OD. Here I am. What are we going to talk about today? Today we are picking up with the gospel narrative that we left off last week. This is Gospels part 60. Last week we saw Jesus addressing this issue that the Pharisees had with breaking the commandment of God to keep their tradition of men um, with mm, yeah. cleanliness of foods and themselves with oral traditions and actually using that as a form of kind of oppressing other people, bringing them down um, through this outward-looking appearance of obeying the law, but inwardly they're very far from the spirit of what God's law is actually intending, and he showing that like whenever you consume food, maybe maybe even if it's unclean, by the time it leaves your body, it actually is clean to show that the issue is not with the food itself, but it's with the the human heart yeah. and the desires and the motivations behind why you do things. Uh, it's just super convicting. And then we went from that story to uh, Jesus and disciples being in the region of Tyre and Sidon, and a Canaanite woman comes to them and is asking, like in a very messianic way, like, Son of David, please come help my daughter because she is severely oppressed by a demon. Right. And we had this cliffhanger that he, like, didn't even answer <laughs> right and he says i'm only here to like serve the lost sheep of israel and we're like um okay well how do we go from here so that's where we're at yeah it just felt mean right to us that's what we think but we did talk about how you know what i think there's a good good finish to the story coming so let's go ahead and continue and see what we got in matthew chapter 15 we're going to look at verses 25 to 28 And this lines up with Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 26 through 30. I think I'm actually going to read both because each offers just a little bit of an interesting twist. And uh, so let's get them all in there. So Matthew first. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, It is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. Now, obviously, the Mark is Mark version is going to sound very much like it, but let's go ahead and read that because it's got a couple extra little bits. I'm starting about halfway through verse 26. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. 
the demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. All right. Well, at least we know we got a happy ending, right? (laughs) We got that. So what is going on here? Uh, First, she, and let's just say, like any good mother, she is not taking no for an answer. At, at this point, she's kneeling before him. She, she's begging. She's calling him Lord. She wants him to help her daughter. And she just is not going to let up. And still, Jesus remains reluctant. And he says something to her, let's just say, to help her understand why he isn't responding to her. And I just want to make this point clear. Jesus does not call this woman a dog. Just, I just want to make sure that's clear. He is using an easily understandable image that she can relate to. And basically, the same concern that she has for her own child, Jesus has for God's children, Israel. So, Only a horrible parent would feed the dogs with the food that their children need. And and so, this woman, she's going to be able to relate to that. It's the very feelings that she has toward her own child. Now, I feel like I needed to mention this real quick. You know, to be fair, it's true. Gentiles were sometimes referred to as dogs. Uh, Romans sometimes referred to as pigs, etc. There, there was stuff like that going on. But please understand where that comes from. It goes all the way back to the garden. And here's a little plug for Rabbi David Foreman, because he's awesome. You should go listen to him. Aleph, Beta. Anyway, any human who is acting on their own will instead of God's will is like a beast. You might even say you may as well just be a beast. And and uh, here's another one. Tim Mackey would call them subhuman. And, you know, the idea of being a beast, the idea of being subhuman, this is all about you're not living up to your potential, your goal, whatever God designed you for. But still, that that isn't what's happening here. Jesus isn't calling her a dog. This, I guess, in some sense, probably is maybe reminding people of Matthew 7, verse 6. We've been through that already. Samuel, why don't you remind us what that said? Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Yeah. Now, in in that particular case, do you remember, Samuel, what was the, what was the, um, what was that verse about? I think it had something to do with Jesus saying it's of no use to expel this significant amount of effort trying to display the message of the kingdom to people who are not in a place that are willing or ready or even culturally aware to be able to accept it yet. Like, don't waste your time on someone who's not like at a place where they could meet you halfway. Exactly. The wisdom of Torah. There's no point in trying to, you know, give it out when it's not wanted. 
We talked about dogs and holy and some of that related back to what happened in the tabernacle. And, you know, we mentioned things about people being called dogs or pigs or whatever. So you, you kind of see the connection. But that back then was about teaching. This one here is very, very different. In this case, in his little analogy, uh, the dogs are, they're, they're just uh, someone who is not part of the immediate family or, you know, something of that nature. But here's the cool thing. The woman deftly picks up on his meaning. I mean, she's right there. She understands that she and her daughter are the dogs from his analogy. But she's not offended. She doesn't think that he just insulted her or disrespected her. In fact, she totally understands what he's saying and goes along with it. If you noticed in the text, she agrees. She says, yes, Lord. She agrees. It's it's not right to give the children's food to dogs. But she also knows, she, she, she like, you can almost picture it. She's thinking through the analogy, and she knows that the dogs aren't completely denied. They do, in fact, get the crumbs or the scraps or the droppings, etc. You know, kids, they're messy when they eat, right? So she knows, and this is the important part, that even just the crumbs would be enough. And that's all she's asking for. It's very similar to the woman with the discharge thinking, if I could just touch the fringe of his seat seat, right. I could experience healing. You are absolutely right. And he responds in the exact same way. Jesus is, I don't know, kind of floored or surprised, something. And as at other times, he wants to see this kind of faith in Israel. But he's not seen it, at least not often. So he, he's so impressed, he gives her what she has asked for. The child is freed from the demon. And I don't know if you remember, we kind of mentioned maybe Jesus was being just a little bit salty because he was remembering back about Jezebel coming from around this area or whatever. But with this woman's behavior, maybe he's kind of forgotten about that whole Jezebel thing, and he's only remembering the part now about the widow of Zarephath. You know, that's a, that's a much better, nicer story, right? So, I don't know. Anyway, good, happy ending. You got anything more on that, Samuel? I I wanted to ask real, really quickly the tone between Matthew and Mark in Jesus' response. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they're completely polar opposites, but it's just interesting that Matthew writes Jesus' response with this emphatic, like, man, oh, woman, great is your faith. And then in Mark, he's like, for this statement, like, you can go your way and the demon has left your daughter. So, like, I just wonder, like, whether that difference has something to do with the audience they were writing to or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's a good point. And also in the Mark one, I don't know if you noticed, uh, he adds the little bit about letting the children be fed first, which kind of softens a little bit, you know, the, the Jesus' statement. I don't but that's that's why I read them both, because— the personalities within them are 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 kind of mm-hmm. unique, and I don't know. It, it, it's just better to to have a a richer picture, even if it could possibly contain some some uh, you know discrepancies or some tensions of some kind, than mm-hmm. to to not have one one that's less rich. But and that reminds me that with your comment about the Mark version kind of softening the blow a little bit with Jesus's statements, yeah. it kind of makes me think. 
and obviously I have not done a whole lot of background research in archaeology and anthropology with non-Jewish cultures and pagan religions and all of that kind of stuff, but I wonder if there was some sense of people who were outside of the realm of Jerusalem and Torah and everything, and they're seeing sort of like the, like, despite the the exile that the people have experienced over the years, there still has to be some kind of sense that this God that they're proclaiming to, following, pursuing, is blessing them in some way. You know, the, the Roman Empire is kind of setting up camp within their land, within their temple, and like uh, one of the leadership positions within that Roman Empire like helped rebuild a lot of that and make it look so grand and everything. So I wonder... Yeah with a a woman within her Gentile pagan culture, there was that understanding even amongst amongst her pagan religion. Like, yeah, like the Israelite people, that they have something going for them. So, like, I can understand that there is a tier, like a stratification between, like, where my people are at and where you all are at. So, like, I understand why you're yeah. saying that, Jesus, but, like, I still want to experience it. Yeah. I think that's uh, that's a really good way to to see it, look at it. Uh, yeah, it's great. I it's it. I think it's very difficult for us to really put ourselves back in the place. I know that's the whole point of our podcast. What we're trying to do, we're trying to get ourselves back in the time, the culture, all of that. Try to learn as much as we can. But whoo, tall order. Yeah, but totally worth it. We should just mm-hmm. keep trying and trying some more. Well, let's do it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we we move on. Uh, In fact, pretty big change of pace here. Uh, We're going to go to Mark chapter 7, verse 31, because this is going to help us, you know, sort of switch the scene, set the scene, whatever. It says this. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. Okay. So, they have been north and west of Galilee. They're, they're somewhere probably near the Mediterranean Sea. And just as Elijah had gone to escape Jezebel, we talked a little bit about that. You know, you, you could say that Jesus escaped to the same place following the death of John the Baptist. Maybe, maybe there's kind of a, a link there. Or a similarity, anyway. Anyway, things needed to cool down a bit. And, and we don't know how long he was there. And it depends on which scholars you read and, and whatever. Some of them think that he may have been there even months. Now, again, we don't know, but it's just interesting. Time is passing. But anyway, Jesus heads back to the Sea of Galilee, but not to the western side where he spent so much time, or, you know, like around Capernaum and all that. He travels directly to the eastern side of the sea, to the Decapolis. And, I mean, at least it's in the region of the Decapolis. We don't know exactly what that means, but anyway, that's where they are. And what's important about that, this was, you know, if you think about it, that's when he, uh, they, they went across and healed the, the man with uh, legion, you know, who knows, sounded mm-hmm. like thousands of demons, all that. There are pockets of Jews living throughout the region, but it was predominantly Gentile. And in the Decapolis specifically, many of the cities that, have, that were founded in this area are founded by retired Roman soldiers. 
So it isn't just Gentile, it's a very Roman kind of Gentile. And that's not to say that's all that was there, but you, you get the idea. Uh, so, so let's read the next bit and see what is actually going on there. What are they doing? So we're in Matthew again, verse 15, I'm sorry, chapter 15, verses 29 to 31. Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Okay. At least we don't have anything bad happening here. It's all good. So Matthew gives us this great summary. And what we don't know is, uh, did this all just happen in an afternoon? Did it go on for days? If this is going to connect directly to the story that follows, and of course in Matthew it seems to, but if it does, then we would, we would think that it covers about three days. We'll see that when we get there. But again, we don't know. Time is, is not real clear in these stories. So Jesus is walking along the sea. He sees a great spot up on a hill, and then he sits down. And then I have to ask Samuel, when a rabbi sits down, what is he going to do? He's going to spit some knowledge. That's right. He's going to teach. Now, it's usually a really clear indicator. Now, in this text, though, it actually doesn't say anything. I, I don't know if we're supposed to assume it or because it doesn't say it. He didn't. I, I don't know. I don't know. But if the earlier stories are any indication, we might imagine that, you know, he did at least start out teaching and then ultimately it just kind of turned into a big miracle fest. We've seen that happen before. So who knows? But again, now, now we don't really know who is in the crowd. Are they all Gentiles? Are they all Jews? Is it some sort of mix? And then I would think, you know, this is a predominantly Gentile area. So it wouldn't be crazy to expect a predominantly Gentile crowd. And yet he's this Jewish guy. And so maybe not, right? We just don't know. Did he, and, and did he spend much time teaching, any time teaching at all? Whatever. Okay, we don't know. But here's what we do know. Great crowds came to see him. And why? Well, uh, maybe, maybe because there are Jews kind of scattered throughout this region, they're already familiar with the man, the stories. Uh, so that could have been part of it, bringing people in. And there could easily be many reasons that we just don't know anything about, but we do have one story in particular that we can refer to. I've already spoilered it a little bit, Samuel. You remember what it is? The guy that had legion inside of him. And why would that story be important? Wasn't this in the same area that he's in right now? Yeah. And what happened at the end of that story? Um, well, the guy was like so set on coming with Jesus and his disciples and Jesus was like, nah, bro, like it would be more beneficial for you to use your testimony that you have from this experience and go to your neighbors, essentially people who you live with and share this news about what I've done. 
Yeah. Yeah, the well, I don't know if it's the only one. I can't remember exactly, but definitely one of the only times that we've ever seen Jesus not try to keep people quiet. He actually told this guy, hey, you know what? Tell everybody. Just go. Totally outside Jesus' normal MO. So what we could be seeing is some of the result of that man's work. I mean, that's fair, right? And then, I mean, you know, kind of to be fair, there were other people there. They knew this 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 crazy guy bothered by Legion. They knew the whole story, the pigs, everything. And just the natural spreading from everybody who was there may have also uh, uh, added to it or whatever. So it's reasonable to think that people would have some idea that this guy existed and he was capable of some pretty cool stuff. So you got that. Here we've got another uh, list of like your lame, blind, crippled, mute. You know, we've talked about things like this before. The blind and the mute are pretty easy for us to understand. Lame and the crippled, lame and crippled, not quite so much. Uh, the lame is kind of more like you've got parts that aren't really working properly for whatever reason, and and crippled is maybe more like uh, deformed in some way, something of that major. But it, it's just hard to pin down. Anyway, you you can imagine all sorts of things. You've got body parts not working, parts missing, parts mutilated, uh, parts, uh, I don't know, frozen from arthritis, uh, muscular diseases, or or, or even uh, nerve-related things, all that kind of stuff. It's all going on. But anyway, so you got all these people. Here's the important part. They put them at his feet. But actually, underneath this, Samuel... The words are much stronger. It's more like they threw them down or they cast them down. And it, it almost gives you the sense that these people that are bringing them are releasing a long time burden. I mean, it's kind of a here. You take it. I can't take it anymore. Right? That kind of thing. And, and, I don't know. When I read that and I was kind of seeing what was underneath it, I thought that was kind of an important image for us even today because I think we have to do the same thing with our burdens. Now, we may have burdens similar to like some of the things we see in the scriptures, whatever, uh, physical things, who knows, whatever. But even in just a, a much more general sense, a broad sense, our burden of sin. We need to be willing to throw those things down, cast them down, and in a sense, like releasing a long-time burden, and of course, it includes the part about not picking it back up again. So, you know, it's it's not quite the same in that it's not like completely literal, but definitely important for us in a general sense. Oh, and you could take this response between Jesus and the people who brought these impaired people to him as an example to show how we need to not give up on the people in our lives that we're connected to who are hurting or sick or suffering in some way and just expect that someone else is going to take care of it, mm. especially when we live in a, a world that you know s- selfishness and looking out for yourself is... A very common reaction. Ooh, yeah. um, Jesus, you know, by 
taking on this burden whenever maybe his first intentions was to actually teach. Yeah. Is showcasing the type of radical compassion and hospitality we need to have. I mean, just think about ageism, like how like family members you spent your entire life with, how so many people, when they reach a certain age, they just throw them into retirement homes or assisted living, and they're yeah. like, you know, I'm done with, you know, <laughs> with yeah. them. And that's just so opposite of what Jesus is showing here, like right. where he wants to keep them a part of the story in some way. Yeah. And that is such a good point. Uh, seeing the justice and the mercy and the love and, and everything that you see in Jesus and knowing that we, as disciples, need to be looking and acting and sounding in every way like him. That's what it means to be a disciple. I get it. We're on different parts of the path, you know, some beginning, some at the end, some better than others, but we got to be going for it. Got to be going for it. So yeah, good picture, Samuel. Love that. Love that. Now, there was one more thing before we move from this section. This was kind of cool. It says that the crowd wondered, right? Ooh, isn't this amazing? But this is the cool part. They glorified the God of Israel. So, Here's Jesus. He's healing everybody they're bringing to him. And they're all amazed and astonished, you know, that lifted up, whatever you want to say. And then they gave precious honor to, wait for it, the God of Israel. And this is important because it shows, I think that it shows that, that, that we do have a lot of Gentiles in the crowd. Because to them, it's the God of Israel, not our God, our Father, Yahweh, none of that. It's the God of Israel. And so it does, I think, lend to this idea that we have a lot of Gentiles here. Now, there's obviously a bunch of info that, you know, it's it's not in this text. We wish we had it available, whatever. And, you know, a lot of times it's cool that they leave us room, but sometimes we just wish we knew so much more. But again, that phrase, God of Israel, the crowds poss- uh, partly Gentile, possibly predominantly, and, and understand what they're doing. They're glorifying a foreign God. And, and now, it, it, it raises some possibilities. Hey, maybe, you're, maybe earlier in the day or earlier the day before or the day before that or whatever, maybe Jesus really did do some teaching. Maybe he really did get some in there. But... They're glorifying a foreign God. And what I mean by that is if they were not Jewish, what they were doing right here, if they were, you know, from around the Decapolis, et cetera, part of Rome, this could have been outright illegal for them to do. And they did it anyway. I just think that's awesome. Yeah, it's it's such a good picture. And I hope I'm not stretching this too much, but in some ways, isn't this how... Israel's story started all the way back at the Exodus. Like they had these accounts of their forefathers, God meeting them, promising them these things, and then the nation as a whole, or the, you know, they practically weren't really established as a nation at that point, but they wound up being under Egypt's cat- captivity for 400 years and, you know, in some ways probably felt 
disconnected from this God that their ancestors met and experienced and followed and experienced all these blessings from, and then that God brought them out of captivity. And in some ways, like these people, these non-Jewish people, the healing that Jesus did for them was like they're bringing them out of captivity. And yeah, like the, the Jewish people, when they left Egypt, I mean, but even before the law and the Torah and the covenant was given to them, they were praising God, singing songs to him and everything. So it just shows that like, that's how anybody's journey starts. Like you, yeah. you have some moment with him. And even if you don't really know much about him, your heart, your spirit, your essence is drawn to want to be a part of whatever he's got going on. And then that leads to the, the learning the knowledge, the growth, the, yeah. that sort of stuff. Yeah, exactly right. It's such a great picture. So good. So it's an encouragement to people who may feel like that they, they don't have all the knowledge. Like that's not something to be discouraged about. Like use with, use what you have and then keep that's adding right. to it every day. Yeah. But why do we learn Samuel? So we can do. We learn so that we may do. That's right. Yeah. And I'm sorry, you, you're just going to have to forgive me. I'm having a little OCD moment. I just have to say this out loud. Oh, no. The 400 years. somewhere. No, it's not a mess up. But that 400 years, uh, that's actually calculated from a different time. The time that they actually literally spent in captivity was much less than that. Maybe like okay. a couple, couple hundred or whatever. I just, I don't know. It hits my brain. I have to say it out loud. What am I going to do? No, I, I like the strivings for accuracy. That's yeah. good. <laughs> for 200 years, 400 years, that's still a long time. It is. It is. Yeah. All right. So let's see where they're going next. Uh, and, oh, this is really interesting. Uh, okay. So we're, we're bouncing back and forth. We're getting into a section of Mark now. This is in chapter seven, and this is verses 32 through 37. Weird story. Here we go. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Okay, so Matthew had just given us this general story involving the crowds. But then Mark, he offers us this one very detailed, very specific story of one man. And Mark's story even gives us the impression that Jesus is kind of trying to hide what it is he's doing. He's taking him aside from the crowd privately. But Mark gives us some really interesting details. And I think they're, they're kind of unlike anything that we've heard so far in our stories before. Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears 
Now, you may think I'm reading into this. Maybe I am, maybe I'm not. But when he does that, nothing happens. And then Jesus spits and touches the man's tongue. Now, maybe I'm overreading it, maybe I'm not. But even after doing that, nothing happens. And by the way, Samuel, I really do think that we're supposed to understand that he actually touched his tongue with the spittle. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> that instead of bl- blood brothers, it's spittle brothers. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Just not, not cool for us today, right? I'm probably doing more spoiling, but... <laughs> this what what you what you're saying right now it doesn't feel to me like you're reading into the text because there is a story i can recall where jesus is trying to heal a blind man by like rubbing uh mud spit water into the guy's eyes and yeah he says like what do you see and he's like i see people but they look like trees among <laughs> me and then he like tells them to do it again so it shows that like it wasn't fully effective the first time so it, this right. seems to fall underneath that umbrella too yeah yeah it does and we're actually gonna do a little bit to connect those when we get there so yeah it's really good uh okay so anyway he's uh he's uh fingers in the ears spit on the tongue nothing's happening and then <laughs> jesus then he looks to heaven and he sighs and and i'd like to try to 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 I don't know, expound on that a little bit. What do we think Jesus is doing here? Well, okay, it's like Jesus is praying, looking to heaven. He's praying, and this is accompanied with groans of sympathy. I don't think we should read this like, I don't know, he's bored or that he's bothered. I think that he is feeling the weight of the human condition. But anyway, he does all of that, Still nothing. And then he finally says, be opened. And and that's that ephatha. The man's ears are opened and he hears and his tongue is released and he speaks plainly. Now, the thing is, okay, here we got Mark. He's telling us all this detail. And, and you got to wonder, why? Is he sharing the detail because this was rare? Maybe. Or is it that Mark is telling us this detail because, you know, they didn't want to fill up all the stories with all this detail, but he's offering some detail here so we can kind of imagine what all is happening in all the other stories, you know, sort of superimpose what we see here over the other stories that don't say anything. Well, maybe. Now, I got to say, if that's true, It's even more difficult to imagine how exhausting Jesus's ministry must have been day in and day out, right? But there's another possibility, and uh, a lot of scholars talk about this. They suggest that maybe Mark is using all of this detail as a metaphor for Jesus's relationship with his disciples. He wants them to see something about themselves. Now, it might not be as easy to see here, but if nothing else, at least it's kind of setting the stage, so we'll see it a little easier later. What we would be talking about here is that, you know, his disciples may have been slow to hear. His disciples have been 
uh, unable to speak clearly or teach clearly, I guess is what we'd mean. And the end of the story, that they would one day understand clearly and be his messengers to the whole world. So take that with a grain of salt, do with it what you want, but it's kind of an important thing to see because it's going to come up a couple more times. Mark is the only guy that does it, and he does it in just a couple, three places where he just offers a lot of extra detail, and it's kind of weird and kind of cool. But then, I don't know, kind of wrapping it up, just like he has done all around the Galilee before. Now, remember, they're not in the Galilee. They're over by the Decapolis. But Jesus tries to get them, and that would be the man and the people that brought him, at the very least. I mean, we kind of get the idea they're separating from the crowds. But anyway, he orders them to keep it quiet. And that word, just in case you're wondering, is to order, it's to charge, it's to warn. It's a pretty strong word. (laughs) But he gets the same result. In fact, Mark says the harder he tries, the worse they get. (laughs) I just, I don't know why I get such a kick out of that, but it's like, dude, this is God. (laughs) And he's telling you face to face, don't say anything. <laughs> and people are just like, yeah, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they can't stop. <laughs> I don't know. I get a kick out of that. But anyway, like Matthew's story, Mark tells us that the people were astonished. But who was it that they that they glorified when Matthew was telling the story, Samuel? Uh, the God of Israel. Yeah, they glorified the God of Israel. Mark here makes the target of the praise Jesus himself. So interesting little kind of, I don't know, parallel and yet also discrepancy, whatever. Just, I don't know, kind of weird, kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But there you go. Yeah, I I really love that detail back in, let's see what verse it is. Verse 34, where it says that he sighed, um, those details that you brought to light about groans of sympathy and feeling the weight of the human condition. Yeah. I mean... I think if you ask any, like today, presently, any first responder or someone who is in the medical field that is day in and day out seeing all kinds of examples of what sin has done to our bodies in terms of leading us to corruption and death and ailments and everything, seeing that day in and day out has to be discouraging if you ever ask someone i'm sure it weighs on them too so hopefully we can have some empathy towards jesus in his ministry to see even though he was god this task of bringing his ministry and the the news of the kingdom to these people across all these regions it was incredibly difficult for him yeah um and it had to be, like, not discouraging in the sense that he lost hope, but Draining. it just that it has to be a natural reaction to being around that all day. Like, just yeah. saps the life out of you in some ways. Yeah, um, it had to also, be such a burden. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I would. The last thing I just wanted to, I didn't want to switch topics too quickly, but I find it really odd that if this is the same region with the story about the Legion guy and how he wanted him to share the news with everyone, why, he, why in this case he said not to like what I know. in the circumstantial differences 
Yeah. Why, why did why did that happen? That's just so weird. Yep. And I just join you in the question. I have no yeah. clue. But Samuel, oh, buddy, we got a good story coming. You ready? Uh, uh-oh. Yeah. Let's All right. Do it. All right. We're looking at Matthew chapter 15, verses 32 to 39, and Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 10. I'm going to read from Mark. It's kind of long, and we got a lot to talk about, so we'll see if... No matter how you slice it, well, let's let's just see if we can get through it. Let's do this thing. Ready? Yeah. Uh, Again, reading from Mark. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. Now, Samuel, are you kind of feeling just a slight sense of deja vu going on here? Yeah, I feel like I had a double take. Like, haven't we heard this before? Yeah, we have, and yet we have not. So let's talk about what's going on. First of all, uh, Matthew and Mark, okay, we've kind of been bouncing back and forth a little bit. Now they're getting a little more in sync. We know now that we've got a crowd. Uh, In fact, it's a crowd, and they've been here for about three days. Now, in Matthew's version, if you were just reading through, it kind of sounds like the same crowd that's been going on. Uh, Mark kind of makes it read like, nope, different time. There's a new crowd. But whatever. Either way, we got a crowd. Jesus, he's not concerned for himself after spending three days ministering to this crowd. Jesus is instead concerned about them. They're hungry. They have no food. And Jesus is concerned that some are so hungry that they might faint on the way to get food, you know, in in their homes that are possibly far away. So Jesus wants to feed them. And I'm just going to say it again, by the way, it's still likely a predominantly Gentile crowd. Now, kind of funny, because we're sitting here saying, I know we've kind of heard this story before, the disciples seem to think that what Jesus is suggesting, that we feed all these people, is sounding just a little bit crazy. Where are they supposed to get enough bread to feed this great crowd? And you've got to wonder. Have have they already forgotten about the 5,000? Yeah, that's... But notice, they aren't concerned about the cost. 
in this one. This this time, it's because they're in a desolate place. They seem to be more concerned about what. How could you even find bread? How could you feed people with bread in this desolate place? So the the thing is, these disciples. I mean, you got to wonder: are 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 they just asking the question because they're they're kind of hoping for a repeat performance? I mean. You got a bunch of people. Jesus is saying, let's feed them, <laughs> right? I mean, I would mm-hmm. play along, right? So maybe, you never know. But this is, this is where it starts to get good. So Jesus asks how many loaves they have. Doesn't that sound a lot like the last story? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure the same question was asked. <laughs> right. But it's different. It's not the same. And this all sounds a lot like the feeding of the 5,000, but it's definitely a different time. It's definitely a different place. So what we're going to do, we're going to look at the similarities so that we can also look at the differences and then hopefully try to figure out, well, what are the differences telling us? So let's begin. Uh, actually, we can probably point out some differences first. Uh, this time they have seven loaves. How many did they have the first time, Samuel? Um, was it five? Yeah. And this time it says they have a few fish, whatever that means. How many did they have last time? Definitely two. <laughs> right. And so uh, he also tells the crowd to sit. But the first time he did it, he had them do it in a very specific way. Do you remember that, Samuel? That one is a little more vague for me. He wanted them to sit in groups of 50s. Or I think the other one, maybe it said like groups of 50s and hundreds or something like that. This one, he just tells them all to sit. And now, let's see, we can, we can talk about similarities. Uh, uh, well, one of the other similarities about the fact that he has them to sit down is this idea that in both stories, it's like we're having a gigantic banquet together. So that's, I guess we could call that a similarity. We see Jesus giving thanks. That's a similarity. He's breaking the loaves. Uh, and even the fish also, so that's a similarity. Uh, He has the disciples pass it out to the crowd, another similarity, and ultimately everyone ate and was satisfied, another similarity. Wow, there's a lot of them, right? Okay, but then some more differences. They took up seven baskets of leftovers. Do you remember how many they got the first time? Twelve. Yeah, and this time there were about 4,000 men versus last time, 5,000. Yeah. Okay, so that's a lot of stuff. A lot of differences, a lot of similarities. Why? Why do we have this event happening twice? Why do we have the telling of the story? What is this all maybe trying to show us? Well, the feeding of the 5,000 had some obvious references. Uh, Do you remember what five pointed us back to, Samuel? The books of Moses. Yeah. Do you remember what two pointed us back to? Um, like the two tablets, the law yeah. itself. Yeah. And then, uh, well, back in the 5,000, we had the groups. That was the thing. Well, I'm going to ask, do you remember what that was about? I know it has something to do with the story with Moses and his uncle or, or father-in-law Jeth- uh, Jethro about uh, passing passing along judgment, like assigning people responsibility to judge interpreting right. the law exactly yeah that's the thing uh, so so we saw that back there that had to do with the law and all those things 
Uh, and then we had the image of the the banquet. We tied that to the messianic banquet. Sorry, that one was easy. So I went into. And then they picked up the twelve. What did the twelve connect us back to? The tribes of Israel. Yeah, exactly. Now, what's important is that this story has none of these, at least not in in the same numbers. Right. The only thing that's even close is the one about the banquet. So, so some suggest and and. Uh, by some, I mean, you know, a good number of people suggest that these alternative numbers in this story have a very different connection. Rather than connecting back to Moses and Israel and all of that, these numbers are connecting back to something to do with Gentiles or the nations. And the key numbers that we're talking about in this story are three, four, and seven. And and I say three, it's probably not fair, but I'm assuming that when it says a few fish, (laughs) I'm just giving that the number three. So whatever. (laughs) But here's the thing. This is very interesting. The number three, if you're kind of looking back with Jewish tradition, what are they talking about? Well, it represents completeness or fullness and, and stability. The number four represents the fulfillment of God's plans and, and salvation. And just as a side note, if you think of all the fours that show up in a Passover Seder, you can, you can sort of imagine it within there. The number seven represents completeness or fullness. I don't know if you're hearing it, Samuel, but there's a definite theme there. I mean, completeness, fullness, fulfillment, it's just over and over and over. So this banquet is highlighting some sort of theme that has to do with completeness and fullness and fulfillment. And I'm just going to go out on a limb and say, yeah, completeness, fullness, fulfillment of God's plan. So there is a definite connection between these two stories. The first, the 5,000, it's an image of the disciples taking this message of the kingdom, this gospel and, and and the wisdom of Torah, understood properly, taking that to the nation of Israel. And this teaching, this message, when they do that, is enough to satisfy the craving, to satisfy the hunger of all of Israel. In fact, there will be an abundance of leftovers. And then you go to this, this story that we're in now, this second story, the 4,000, And it's a similar image of the disciples disseminating the message of the kingdom, this gospel, the wisdom of Torah understood properly, but this time it's going to the nations. And again, the message is enough to satisfy the craving, to satisfy the hunger of all that are at the banquet. But this time it's all the nations. And even when they're done, there will still be an abundance of leftovers. I just think that's amazing. Yeah. And then one, I, I, I don't know, you just see it. This feeding, this feeding of the Gentiles, if we can call it that, comes after three days. Now, I know we've got the advantage of hindsight, so this could be a possible illusion, or maybe it's just a you know connection from, from the view of hindsight or whatever, but the resurrection comes after three days. 
And when Jesus' mission is completed to Israel, after the resurrection, the mission changes, and it now includes the Gentiles. I just think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. So cool. So here's the thing, though. Starting back with the story of the Canaanite woman, the Syrophoenician woman, whatever you want to call her, we can see that the story has taken a very Gentile-centric turn. And, and what's interesting about that is, remember when we were talking about that story with the woman, Jesus was being real exclusionary. He, he didn't want to deal with this Gentile woman, or at least supposedly. And we made a big deal about how, man, you, you've got to see it. Jesus, he's very Israel-centric. His mission is to Israel and Israel alone. But interestingly, that story begins this this turn for at least a short time where all of the stories become Gentile-centric. And and this is going to continue for a little bit, and, and we'll talk more about it as it continues to unfold. And so now, again, maybe with the benefit of hindsight, we can look back at Jesus' refusal toward the woman as possibly a way of of intending, purposely intending to emphasize the upcoming Gentile interactions that his disciples were going to experience. I don't know. Interesting, interesting possibility. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they get all done and they sail back to the western side of the Sea of Galilee. And they end up about five miles south of Capernaum. At least that's our best guess. We don't really know where. Uh, it's referred to as Dalmanutha, or Matthew says Magadan, whatever. Uh, that one's a little iffy on location, but anyhowsy. Uh, there you go. What do you think of that? That's super awesome. I love that connection. And this is going to sound like it's fabricated or whatever, but I'm, I'm going to reveal to the listeners maybe one aspect of um, the nature of teacher and student within Okidokimos. Hopefully it's not, I'm not, not embarrassing myself, but um, <laughs> I do no prior reading of Paul's notes on the Okidoki notes before we meet together. And part of that is intentional in terms of like, I strive to like, in my mind, to want to be an ambassador, a representative to listeners of this podcast to try to think like what would other people be wrestling with thinking what questions would come up that I could ask in the moment of hearing this stuff for the first time um and so I'm just showing this as an example I really hope other people had this clicking moment for them too while they were listening to Paul bringing this new knowledge on the feeding of the 4,000 so um while the story was going on and I kept seeing the number seven I knew prior that seven had to do with completeness and then you know fulfillment, fullness, whatever. And um, this this contextual knowledge that we brought up that this is not the first time that a feeding has happened, and especially we need to be aware that this is primarily a Gentile region where this is happening. And I was like, okay, if this feeding happened with Gentiles, then it seems to make sense that the first feeding had to do probably, if I'm just assuming, primarily with with Jewish people. 
and then yeah. thinking about okay how does the number seven fulfillment completeness fit in with all this stuff with the jew first of the feeding and then the gentile after that and i was like oh like the 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 completeness the fulfillment is like god reaching the entire world that like all of humanity not just the jewish people and then and then my mind went to Romans one sixteen when Paul is saying he's not ashamed of the gospel, and he says it's the power of God for the salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And it's like, wow, like these two feedings show that. It's like yeah. he first went to the Jews to like establish it, and then that's going to send it out to the rest of the world to bring everyone else into the story as well. So... I don't know. I I just wanted to share that to to show that like if you've been f- grinding with us and following with us for over a year, like you definitely have tools to be able to pick up on this stuff as well. And hopefully, me sharing this example is enlightening and uplifting for you to be able to discover stuff like that too. Yeah, this is. Uh, I don't know. It's a. It's such a great journey and. I have no idea what people are hearing when they hear us on the podcast, you know, because people get images in their head of things that they cannot see and do not know. And so somehow they've developed an image of who Paul and Samuel are. Maybe right, maybe wrong, who knows? But I got to tell you, if, if it sounds at all like, man, Paul just really knows what he's talking about— I can't even tell you the number of times when I'm sitting here studying for the podcast, trying to figure out what I'm even going to say, and I'm having these wonderful moments of, oh, did you see that? Oh, check out this connection. And I've never seen that before. And I mean, I've read these things, I don't even know how many times. So whatever it is you're experiencing going through the podcast, exactly like what Samuel was talking about, whatever... You can have this stuff over and over and over, and hopefully anything that I'm telling you, Samuel's telling you, however it's coming across on the podcast, if you're experiencing these great moments, kind of aha moments or or just pleasing moments, whatever it might be, just know that there are so many more in your future if you will simply spend the time doing exactly the kind of thing that we do when we're trying to to read and, and understand our Bibles, you'll you'll exceed us by far if you just put in a little effort. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. I say we apply some effort to end in this episode. How about that? <laughs> Okie dokie. Thank you for listening to the Okie dokie Most podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And be sure to leave us a rating and a review to let us know how this content is impacting your life. You can find out more information about the podcast at www.okidokimos.com. And if you'd like to get a hold of us, please send us an email at okidokimos at gmail.com. And until next time, we pray that you will do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See you all next week.